it's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. message today is entitled, The Foundation of Christian Living. Foundation of Christian Living. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you to quicken us by your Holy Spirit 
and make plain to us the way of salvation? Would you clear away the confusion, the pain of the past, the memories that haunt us, and would you open the path before us that we could see our way and make certain that the foundation is secure? I pray in your holy name. Amen. One of the questions that I ask continually on the broadcast, Pilgrim's Progress, is where are you in the journey? Are you making progress? Most people have a very difficult time answering that question. The reason they have a difficult time is they're not making progress. They're going round and round the same mulberry bush, the same old, same old, no power. And so they get bored and they head over to the football deal or they head over to the baseball deal or they go into some kind of social deal and no one ever really gets honest about the truth regarding am I or am I not making progress toward the kingdom of God. And yet I can think of nothing more important for us to converse about. I find when people are talking with me and they want to talk about all the things in the world, I find I very quickly shut that conversation down and move on. But when someone is willing to finally engage with me and talk about Jesus, now that's a conversation I want to have, and I want it to be a long conversation. I find the most peace and joy and fulfillment in honestly talking with brothers and sisters about the progressive work of the gospel in their soul and sharing mine. So while I recognize it's a difficult question, it should not be a difficult question. It should be very easy, and it should consume us. It should be the topic when we're driving instead of the radio. It should be the topic when we're out at dinner instead of the sport activities. It should be the consuming topic of our heart. And when it's not, it reveals to us and to the world that we are making no progress in Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about intellectual progress. I'm not talking about academic progress. I'm talking about the practical application and the incredible experience of interacting with the living God of heaven and having an opportunity to actually observe the outward world as it changes and transforms by the power of God out of our prayer closet. So that when we pray, it's not a yoga exercise, it's in reality something that transforms the outer world and all of that flowing out of the inward world of our heart, the inner part of our spirit. Now, we all recognize in our culture we are in We are a culture of institutions. I am not a lover of institutions. But in every institution, for it to function and operate, there is an administrative process that everyone understands. There's a personnel director. There's a CEO. There's a CFO. Operations. And everyone knows what their place is in that process. Well, I want to be clear with you. The kingdom of heaven is not an institution. 
but it will survive forever. But it does have an administrative process in place. And that administrative process is designed for the salvation of our souls. And if we don't understand that administrative process that is to be established in our souls that allow us to be safe with the ecclesia, with the church, if we don't understand that administrative process, we will never grow in Christ. Now, most of us have grown up fairly well-centered in America in ourselves. It's about us. It's about what we want and what we do and where we go. It's all about us. We quickly find when we begin to look at the administrative process of God for the kingdom of heaven that it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about our brothers and sisters. It's about service not being served. Most of us have grown up believing that it it was all about us being served. It's not. It's about our serving others. Today, I want to walk through some deep water with you. I want to look at this administrative process that God has put in place to save our souls. This may not be easy for some of you. You may want to go to sleep. And if I see you all getting sleepy, please don't be offended. I'll just ask you to stand up. Because this is vital. It's not what we're accustomed to talking about. We're accustomed to talking about the external world and the stuff of this world. But we've got to take another look at the inward path of the Spirit and how we walk in that inward path. In our study of the book of Ephesians, we're in the third chapter. I want to come back to verse 16. When you hear a person pray, you know who they are. It's impossible for a person to pray and not expose either the shallowness or the depth of their inner life. When the Apostle Paul begins to pray, you understand the depth he has in Jesus. Ephesians, the third chapter, let's begin with verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let's look at that more carefully. Paul begins to pray, and the first thing he's concerned about in your heart and mine is the inner being. That's where the foundation has to be laid. And he's praying that God would strengthen you with power through his Spirit, In your inner being, if your inner being is not strong by the power of the Spirit, you will not understand the administrative process that God has placed for us to grow in Jesus. Many today are so weak in their inner being that they're swayed by every wind of doctrine. They're blown here and there. They never take a stand. They're always defensive. They're always looking for what they can grab a hold of. And then as we grow older, we kind of back up a little bit and we get more comfortable in our little box that we live in. And there's no progress in Christ because we're weak in our inner being. Paul, knowing that, begins to pray about our inner being, our inner spirit, saying, 
Would you strengthen them? Now, the most incredible gift, and I need to just lay this out plainly for you. My salvation and your salvation is the work of God. It is by grace. It is not by works. It is a gift of God. My standing before God is based on what Jesus Christ did at the cross. He opened there the way of salvation for me. It is by the blood of Jesus. But if I were to place in the bank for you one million dollars, and then I came today and I said to each one of you, here's your account number. There's a million dollars. Just go talk to them at the bank and they'll give you whatever money you need. And you left this house and you never went to the bank. You would never have that million dollars. That's about what most of us are like. We've got to go and make the withdrawals of the grace and the mercy of God in order to be strengthened in the inner being by the Spirit. Now watch. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Jesus cannot dwell in your heart by faith if you are not strong in your inner spirit. Because constantly your inner spirit wants something else other than Jesus. I've known men and women who are very strong in their spirit regarding making money. Or very strong in their spirit about entertainment in our culture. They know everything about the football players. They can hardly wait for Super Bowl Sunday. That's the topic of conversation. They're very strong in it. Some are very strong in the house they want, the car they want, the relationships they want. You can be very strong in many different places. As an engineer in math and In technical matters, you can be very strong. But in your inner being, if you've not been strengthened by the Holy Spirit, you will not be able to be strong in Jesus because he will not come and dwell in your heart. To be a Christian is a very deliberate act. No one will end up in heaven by accident. And no one No one will gain those pearly gates without being strong in the spirit. But many men and many women will by accident end up in hell. So let's take a few minutes before we continue in this verse and lay some foundation. Go with me to the very end of the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. I'll begin reading with verse 21. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. 
away from me, you evildoers. So as we begin to look at, at this foundation that must be laid, the very heart of it is knowing Jesus Christ, intimacy with Jesus, doing wonderful actions, preaching the gospel, singing beautiful songs, caring for my neighbors, all wonderful things to do. But if all of that is not built on the right foundation, it will avail nothing in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is essentially about Jesus and those who know him, his wife, the one who's intimate with him. So Jesus draws together the whole teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, look, not everyone's going to go into heaven. He tells us in other places that very few will go in. In the, in the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, he tells us that half of the church will not make it. Which half are you sitting on? Then he begins, therefore, in other words, because everyone's not going to go into the kingdom, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so he tells us a parable. The parable of a man who builds his house here and a man who builds his house here, and the outward appearance of the houses are identical. They're both beautiful homes. They both have bedrooms. They both have kitchens, food preparation. They have the ritual cleansing tanks that all Jewish homes had. Two beautiful houses. But then the rains came, the storms came, and one house collapsed. And Jesus is saying in this parable, one house collapsed because when he built this house, he put it on sand. The other man built a foundation on the rock. Okay, let's bring it right home. The question of salvation must begin with, are you willing to allow Jesus Christ to rule over your life? Are you willing to allow him full control over your life? In the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The word kingdom there in the Greek is not referring to a geographic area. It's referring to kingdom authority. And so the question is, are you willing to allow kingdom authority to rule over your life? Are you willing to ask Jesus to come and exercise over your life his fullness, his authority? That's the beginning of the foundation placed on the rock. Now, most of us do not make that question easy for ourselves. It is an easy question. It's not a difficult question. It's just hard to answer because it's crucifixion. And all of us have people that we like and don't like. We have activities we enjoy engaging in. We have 
things that we're sentimental about that we own. We have the little box that we live in. And now suddenly we're coming and saying, exercise your authority over me, your kingdom authority, your executive authority. Well, let's look at it. With Peter, he was a fisherman. God didn't keep his boat. He lived in a nice house. God didn't keep the house. He made him an itinerant preacher. I wonder how his wife and his kids felt about that. Scriptures don't tell us. But Peter was a traveling man. Look at all of the apostles. Every one of them, except the apostle John, died a martyr's death. When they begin to ask Jesus to exercise over their lives his divine authority, Jesus began to do so. And there was almost nothing in their lives that he kept. Almost everything had to go. Jobs, relationships. So the question again is, are you willing to ask Jesus to begin to establish over your life his divine authority? Until that question is answered and re-answered and re-answered, there will be almost, if any, there will be no progress in your life. There will be a total standstill. You will not move forward with the gospel of Jesus. You will be blocked. So you can then become very religious. You can enjoy the, the rituals of the church. You can enjoy all of the the fellowship of the church, but there's no progress in your life with Jesus because the block is, I want to hang on to that man or that woman. I want to hang on to that job. I want to hang on to that house. I want to hang on to something. Or you say, I don't want to hang on to anything. And Jesus is saying, hang on to that. I've met some people who say, okay, I'm getting rid of everything. Well, Jesus didn't say get rid of everything. You let go of what Jesus tells you to let go of, and you take a hold of everything else. There's another passage of Scripture in the book of John. The book of John, the 14th chapter. I'll begin with verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Isn't it interesting? It does not say, if you, if you love me, you'll think well of me. If you love me, you'll come and visit me occasionally. It doesn't say that. It says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. You'll keep my command. And I will ask the Father, and I will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. You understand, until you make the commitment that says, I'm asking for your royal authority to be exercised over my life, you will not be allowed to see or know Jesus Christ. You don't get to know him and then agree. You have to agree, and then he reveals himself. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. We know Jesus Christ through intimacy. Without that covenant relationship that we make in saying, Lord, exercise your authority over me, I submit to you. We will not be able to know Jesus. And then he comes to us and he says, 
let go of that. It's standing between us. Now, I wish that all of us could say, okay, yes, Jesus, it's done. But most of us, most of the time, hear that Jesus wants us to let go of that, and we say, you can't be serious. Or we say, yes, you're right, I'll let go of it, and then a day later we pick it back up. Or a week later we go back to it. So we're stirred a little bit by emotion, a little bit of conviction, and then we say, okay, I got it. And then a week later we've forgotten about it, and we're back at the same old deal. Why? Because the foundation is faulty that we're building. We have not made the covenant relationship yet to the depth of our soul that says, Jesus, exercise your royal authority over me. I am your subject. It may take you a year, two years, three years, four years, five years. And in that time, Jesus begins to withdraw from your soul. And he begins to allow trouble to come into your life. And he begins to bring that piercing into your heart. And you become more and more empty of heart. And I can tell you in my own experience, very successful in a congregation as a pastor, a large congregation, everything was going my way. The cash was flowing, the the television programs, the radio, everything was going. And my heart was absolutely empty empty and devoid of the Holy Spirit's presence. And I became so desperately lonely for God that I finally began to cry out to him. And as I began to cry out to him, he said, close this church. It's not mine, it's yours. If you want me, let go of it. So I went to the elders and we closed the church. Parceled families out. You go over here. You go over here to this church until everybody was gone. And then for the next seven years, no public ministry, no job, everything taken. Cars, houses, savings, every penny taken. He was exercising his royal authority over my life. And finally, when everything was gone, and I could not even feed myself, And I cried out to him and said, I'm going to die. And he answered and said, good, I've been waiting for you to die. He answered audibly. How could you treat me this way? He said, you were bought at a price. You're not your own. You entered into the covenant, Ray. Hey, what do you want? Will you receive from my hand only what I give you? Yes. And don't go in debt. Yes. And don't ask anyone for money. Yes. And he was gone. And I've lived that way now for 26 years. And he's given me exactly what he wanted to give me. Am I happy with everything he's chosen to give me? Are you kidding me? Come on, get real. He doesn't give it to me to make me happy. His goal is not my happiness. His goal is for me to be holy. My goal is to be happy, to be successful. That's not his goal. He wants to shape me in a a manner that will allow him legally to take me to heaven. I have to meet 
the conditions necessary for his grace to be poured out in my life. And that bottom line condition is that I ask God to establish his royal authority over my life and live under that authority. So continuing with John 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. I will show myself to him. So bottom line, we have to come into an agreement with God that says, I'm asking you to exercise your divine authority over my life, and I will submit to you regardless of what that means to me personally. If it means a job loss or if it means a job change, if it means the house, if it means relationships, whatever it means, I am going to trust you, Lord. I am going to wait upon you. I am not going to go ahead of you. I'm going to wait and I'm going to follow you. And circumstances will not control my life. My life will be controlled by what Jesus wants me to be. Now, as we come back to this prayer, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Most of us spend most of our lives in the physical realm, but we were not designed to live in the physical realm. We were ordained by God to dwell in the spirit realm. Everything in this physical realm is temporary and has to be burned on it. All of our money, all of our possessions, our bodies, everything here is meant to be temporary. Now, between you and me, I still have a hard time dwelling in the spirit realm because my stomach starts to growl and I'm hungry. My body starts to be strained and get stiff. Things happen in the physical realm that draw my attention away from the spirit realm. The Apostle Paul talked about that. He said, this body is wearing out. It's a tent, and I'm going to leave this tent, and I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm going to get a new body, a spiritual body, a body more real than this one. Jesus could, in his resurrected body, walk through the wall, walk through the door. Why? Because this physical realm is not real. What's real is the spirit realm. God is looking for men and women who will worship him in spirit and in truth, who will not be captivated by this physical realm anymore, and who will not base their decisions on what's happening in the physical realm but will base their decisions on what's happening in the spirit realm. You cannot know what's happening in the spirit realm until you make that covenant agreement with God, asking him to exercise his divine authority over your life. That opens the door to the spirit realm. So now we can begin to know what's happening spiritually. We do not dwell in Christ in our physical bodies. We dwell in Christ in our spirit body. For that reason, he says, we dwell there by faith. Faith, let's define it again quickly. 
In the Old Testament, it means fidelity to, loyalty to. In the Greek and the New Testament, it means absolutely persuaded or convinced. Well, what are we persuaded or convinced about? What do we have fidelity to? To the spirit realm, not to the physical realm. So that we know that our future is not with this body. Our future is on the other side. So every decision we make is based on the authority of God being exercised over our lives so that we're saying, I'm on a journey. I'm on a pilgrimage. I am going to the celestial city. That's where my destiny lies. That's where my future lies. I've become greatly comforted in my heart by understanding that my late wife does not lie in the grave behind me. Instead, she's ahead of me. So it does not comfort my heart to go back to the memories of the past. It comforts my heart to know in Jesus I have a future, and I'm going there. So now every ounce of my energy is given to the future. And I dwell now in the present under the authority of God, suffering whatever is necessary to prepare me for that future. I am not here called to be a man of the flesh. I am called here to be a man of the spirit. And the foundation that opens the spirit's door for me is that covenant relationship where I say, okay, I belong to you, Jesus. And my great concern today is that some of you in this room have still not made that covenant. You are still hanging on to some illusionary belief that joy and comfort is to be found in the physical realm. You have not yet been fully persuaded that your future is in the celestial city. And so things in the flesh catch you here. The video games, the violence, the sports, they all catch you here. They absorb your time and your energy. Things of darkness, they catch your time and and, and attention. Making money catches your time and attention. Not understanding that Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll give you all these other things that the pagans are running after. The pagans run after the clothes and the car and the house and the money and the lifestyle. Christians aren't called to run after that stuff. We give ourselves to Jesus. He rules over us. Yes, we make money because we go and do what Jesus directs us to do, and he flows resources into our lives because we serve him, because we are given to him. We belong to him. There's another prayer that I want you to look with me at. The Apostle Paul, in chapter 1 of Colossians, Colossians, the first chapter, verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord 
and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. The whole administrative process of God has been put in place in order that we might qualify to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. His purpose is to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us in the kingdom of light. But in order for him to do that in us, we have to agree. We have to give him permission to do that in us. The work of Jesus is a work of circumcision in our hearts. This is not a self-improvement process. This is not saying, okay, I need more patience. Let's make a chart and let's identify positive things that I can say to myself every day to try to get my patience pumped up. No. It's cutting off the impatience in the name of Jesus and asking him, will you change me? Will you transform me? Exercise your authority over me, Lord. As he exercises his authority over our lives, he transforms us into his likeness. He changes us. Now, I want to share just a little more out of this book. I want to begin with chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and build up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Something happened to me this last week that was so astonishing. I woke up as I normally do, went to my prayer area, opened my scriptures, and I heard in my spirit the Holy Spirit say very clearly, I love you. And I said, yes, I know, and I went on reading scripture. He said to me, you didn't get it. He said, I love you. I love you too, Lord. No, you didn't get it. He said, I love you. And then I said, get real. How could I be loved? Now, I don't want to put something on you that's not there, but I want to make a suggestion that most of you in this room do not really believe that you are loved by God. And you can give a million and one reasons why God should not love you. You think about the failures of the past. Think about the the disobedience of your life. You're used to being told God loves you. Yeah, God loves me. Okay, big deal. But I know, I know inside of me, I don't deserve the love of God. I've not been able to come up to a standard that I would say, okay, now now you ought to love me, God. I'm sorry, I'm not there. To begin to even allow yourself the possibility of understanding or thinking that God loves you, I was utterly overwhelmed. I sat there and did not read any scripture. I went to the radio station 
and I talked on Thursday about the love of Jesus, but I couldn't talk about what he said to me that morning. All I could do is sit there and cry. Sometimes I think we need to just sit in the presence of Jesus and let him love us. And some of your body reactions, as I'm saying this, are very interesting to me. I can remember in my marriage with Jan, when she would come home and she'd be tight, she'd be tense. And I'd say, come here, honey. And we'd sit down and we had one chair that we sat in and I would just hold her. And as I would hold her, suddenly I would hear, and then a little while later, it's like she was just coming down, settling. Settling. And then she'd doze off to sleep. She felt safe. She knew she was loved. Nothing mattered except she was loved. Just that little bit I said to you, I saw some of you go, some of you are afraid to allow Jesus to exercise his authority over your life because you don't believe he loves you. And you believe that if you ever fully submitted to Jesus, he would ruin your life. Well, I'm here to tell you, he will ruin your life. But he's going to give you back something much more beautiful. He's going to give you back a place in his heart where you can take deep breaths and where you can let go, where you can rest, where you don't have any worries where you can just be at peace. Some of you don't have one person in your life that you believe really, truly loves you, who would die for you, that you don't have to be defensive with, that you don't have to argue with. You, don't, you just know you're loved by them. And it's clear that, that you can just rest in their presence. And when you talk with them, You don't have to guard your words. You don't have to watch out for what they're going to jab you with. Some of you have never had a person in your life like that. So when I come to you and begin to talk about that's who Jesus is with you, it's hard for you to understand because you've been on guard all your life. And some of you are on guard by being out there in everybody's face. Some of you are on guard by being withdrawn and quiet. Hidden. And so when pastor comes and he says, would you talk about the journey you're on with Jesus? Are you kidding me? I'm not safe enough to talk to anybody about those inner things of my soul. I'm too beat up. I'm too broken. The National Prayer Chapel has to become a place where we begin to comprehend and be rooted in the love of Jesus Christ so that we can begin to let go, so that we can begin to rest. I hate the dentist. I go to the dentist, and I have a, my dentist is a wonderful friend. I love him. His name is Adam. I see him socially. When I'm with him socially, we're just talking about Jesus, and we're talking about the gospel, and we're talking about family. But I go sit in that dental chair. Sweat starts to band around my arms. My legs are crossed. 
All right, do what you have to do. Well, some of you live that way with Jesus. And you never have time just to rest in his presence and love him. And because you don't have that freedom with other people, there's a guardedness. The foundation that has to be laid on the rock with Jesus Christ is I will absolutely submit my life to you. I'm asking you to exercise your royal authority over me. And I'm going to rest in you in love. And I'm going to experiment with you. I'm going to test you, Jesus, to see if you really love me. And of course, all the time, he's testing us to see if we really love him. What what is trust? Well, first, trust is always earned. It's never given. And trust comes by one person keeping their word to another person. Trust is broken when that word is not kept. And so with Jesus, trust is built with Jesus when I keep my word with him and when he keeps his word with me, and he always keeps his word. He says, verse 21, once you were alienated from God, were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. It is the purpose of God that there should be no accusation Satan could bring against you that holds any validity or any weight, free of all blemish, so that you can live in love with Jesus Christ. This is not some sentimental, sloppy love. This is real love where I submit to his authority I do what he asks me to do, and he dwells in me, and I live in that love with him. And he repairs all the brokenness in my heart. He heals the blemishes of my soul. I've sat with many people as they have died, often holding them in my arms or holding their hand, sitting at their bedside. People die the way they live. Do you understand, you're not going to be any different the day you die than you are now, except by the grace of Jesus. The bitterness that's in your heart will be fully exposed when you die. Some people die hard, angry, bitter, full of accusations, and they die hard. Others, the closer they come to that death's door, the sweeter their words, and their expressions, and they speak about what is on the other side, and they are eager to be there, and they are happy to lay down this life, and they don't cling to it, they release it easily. If today was your day to die, how would you die? How would you die? Joyfully, at peace, rooted in the love of Jesus, knowing that you have no accusations against you that can stand in the court of heaven, knowing that there are no blemishes in your character, in your soul, 
All has been healed by the blood of Jesus. You have been restored to holiness. You walk with him and you know him. And now what pours out of your heart to others is love and mercy and grace, integrity. Are you ready? So just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, chapter 2, verse 6, continue to live in him, rooted and build up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Has the foundation been laid in your life of asking Jesus to exercise the fullness of his authority over your life? Or are you still holding out on him? If he is exercising that full authority over your life, he is going to take you through a process that may be very painful because he's going to want to circumcise your heart, and that's a painful process. It's called being born again. It's called circumcision. It's called crucifixion. None of the names are pretty or happy. But in all the midst of that, we can be absolutely certain that he loves us, with deepest compassion. And I can tell you now that as you go through the piercing, the crucifixion, as you go through until finally you are entirely sanctified, you are holy, you are without blemish before God, you are going to know the love of Jesus as you've never known it before. You are going to know the joy and the fellowship of the Spirit as you've never known it you will be freed to use the gifts God has given you for the work of the gospel of Jesus. I recognize today that there is so much turmoil, there is so much clawing at our spirits and our minds, there is such interference on a demonic level, people are driven crazy with this demonic clawing at their heart and mind, I know of only one place of safety and refuge, and that is asking Jesus, will you exercise your authority over my life? And I will trust you. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. You can find us online at nationalprayerchapel.com, or you can write to us at Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. God bless you. We love you. I'm pressing on
upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm upward bound, Lord plant my feet on higher ground, Lord lift me up, Lord, lift me up and let me stand, but faith on a gleam of glory bright, but still I'll pray till heaven I found, Lord lead me on to higher ground. Oh